You're listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm your host, Vadim from Comfrog Recording. And I'm Ben from DreamLoud Studio. Ben, Ben, Ben. Another week, another episode talking about recording guitars. What what are we up to here? <laughs> I just think recording guitars is just a never-ending uh, well of knowledge and excitement. So we can never talk about it too much. It's so true, man. It's so true. You know, I was I was contemplating this because we did episodes, was it 64, where we did your guitar yes. DI shootout? Yes. Uh, I think so. I, I think so. So you had done uh, a, te- a series of tests where you were testing this theory that you need to record through a DI. And you did tests where you plugged your guitar and your bass directly into the high Z input. And then you recorded those same parts once through a passive DI, once through an active DI. Very interesting results. If you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go check it out. I think we both learned a lot there. And then here, I was recording a new single, and I thought I would use this as an opportunity to do some additional testing. And I was even thinking about this. Like, I've done, I can't tell you how many times I've done guitar recording signal change shootouts. Like, why would I do more? And this really comes down to a couple of things. I was thinking about, like, I've been recording guitars and trying to perfect the perfect guitar recording signal chain since I was like 13 years old when I started just recording, like put my boom box next to my amp and try to record that. And when I look back at that like 20 year journey, I think there's no like one thing that was a huge step change where I was like, okay, that sounded 50% better than I sounded yesterday. I think true progress has been just a series of incremental improvements to the point where now when I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I'm worlds apart from where I started <laughs> and I probably still have a long way to go. And this this tone chasing journey we've talked about is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the journey towards enlightenment. Like you can never get there <laughs> and you don't want to get there because if you get there, what are you going to do next? It's this kind of, it's the pursuit that's fun. And every time you do a little bit of testing, you learn your gear a little bit better. You learn some best practices and you get faster. So like if you do, if you are in a situation where you have to record quickly, you can more quickly pull up the chain that's going to work for the situation. And you just constantly, you know, you're inching your way towards that never attainable perfection. What do you think about gear testing and shootouts in your studio? Well, I love it now. I definitely have more appreciation for it now than I did before, but I never was one of those. And maybe this is a more common thing with bass players than guitar players, but I never really was a obsessed with tone. I was more obsessed with uh, like playing skillfully or, or being able to play like really complicated parts or things that were challenging to me. I, so I always focused more on how my fingers were changing the tone of the mm. instrument more than I was focused on the gear I was using. So I think that maybe not focusing on that so much at the beginning saved me a lot of frustration. And then, you know, through the years, I started gaining more and more appreciation for, 
oh, how could this amp change my tone? How could the speaker change my tone? How could the bass that I'm playing change my tone? But, you know, all that being said, uh, I think modern bass, you'll hear a lot more variety in tone than maybe you did back in like when I was growing up in like the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, bass was mm. really kind of, most of the time bass was just kind of there to support the guitars. I mean, you heard a couple different bass tones, but its I feel like it's nothing like today with especially modern metal and even rock music where you have all these different techniques for splitting the bass into two different tracks and then you're treating the the top end of the bass with all this guitar effects and stuff like that. So it's it's become a completely different animal and I feel like I've kind of evolved in my tone chasing things along with how the industry has evolved in treating bass in and of itself. If that makes sense. with the industry, that does make sense. You ever play a yeah. Nintendo that, that had that old game called Ice Hockey? That was just the generic name of the oh, game. Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, you could, on your team, you could pick one of three characters for each position. <laughs> yes. You could have a skinny guy, a medium guy, or a fat guy, right? I feel like that's how bass was in the 90s. Like there was three types was. of bass. There was two bass amps. And everybody just had some combination of that, maybe with like yeah. one distortion pedal or whatever. <laughs> I hated the skinny guy. Like I thought I would like him at first because he was so fast, but everybody would just knock him over constantly. He's fragile. He's too fragile. Yeah, I, <laughs> yes. I think I had. I think I would go one skinny guy, two medium guys. To be honest with you, because mm. you still needed that one skinny guy to be able to like move the puck. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. <laughs> always always go with the big fat guy when you're when you're playing bass and picking bass tones that's yes always the bass you got to go with the big <laughs> fat guy for sure for yeah. sure so yeah that's that's really interesting you know I, I i think what you said makes a lot of sense and is actually probably even more important maybe even more so with bass where technique i think maybe even affects your tone a little bit more but to to that point you can still, I, like, I've done shootouts in the past where I've tried to record using different picks and seeing mm -hmm. how the, the, you know, different pick thicknesses or different ways I held the pick or where I was striking the string with the pick, how that affected the sound. So you can A-B test anything. The point is to yeah. know your setup well enough to make better decisions. Yeah, I love the idea of doing shootouts or maybe not even recorded shootouts, but just buying a bunch of different um, gauges of picks and trying them out. Because what if just changing a pick, which costs, what, 10 cents, 25 cents? What if that makes all the difference in the world? You just saved yourself a whole bunch of money. <laughs> That's right. And I'm going to give you a little, a little secret of what I've been doing is I've been recording the left guitar and the right guitar with two different pick gauges. Um, really? It's, yeah. Why not? <laughs> just to get a little bit more difference between the left and right guitar interesting um, so anyway long story short i i did a bunch of tests which we're going to play for you today and i'm going to describe these tests to you i've sent the it's a single blind science experiment because i've sent the unlabeled samples to you ben i just labeled yes. them test 1a test 1b 2a 2b 3a 3b i think it was a four tests i, I sent you yeah four or tests three. total four tests and you're going to tell me, I'll describe maybe even the signal chains, and you'll tell me your thoughts and which one you think is which. 
and then I will give you, or we'll both, we'll, we'll give the listeners our conclusions on um, what we think sounded better, worse, what made a difference, what didn't make as much of a difference, and I'll tell you what my takeaway was and what I ended up using to actually record the parts for the song I'm uh, playing guitar on now. So the first test is a simple test, and it's just kind of a, uh, a, a, good, a good idea to check your biases sometimes. Yeah. We've all heard a million times, change your strings before you go into the studio to record. In fact, you and I have said this not numerous yes, times have. on this podcast, right? We say, change your strings, you're going to get a brighter, sharper, tighter sound. But I thought, it's been a while since, I, I don't know if I've actually ever A-B tested old strings versus new strings. So I happened to have my guitar sitting there, the strings on it were probably four or five months old. But the caveat to that is I like never play guitar anymore, especially not that guitar unless I'm recording. So they're four or five months old, but I haven't played them a ton. For, take that for okay. what it's worth. So what I did in all of these tests, actually, just to, to take a step back, I, I, and this is a good idea for you to do when you're designing your own tests, I came up with a riff that was just a very simple two chord riff. And whenever you're doing these shootouts, it's a good idea to try and make your testing riffs kind of representative of what you'll be recording. So in my case, I, I did kind of three riffs playing on this two chord progression. At first, it was just, you know, big open chord, let the notes ring out. Then it was kind of an intermediate, like hit the open chord and chug a little bit on the low string. And then finally, just like, you know, uh, just a kind of a real chuggy palm muted part. Uh, just to see what the differences with all of those would sound like. And I also recorded kind of two loops of each of those riffs. You'll hear what I mean. But I did that so that I could A, B, so I could listen to the progression on you know, an A sample and then quickly toggle to the B sample and listen to the changes and, and so on. So that was my design. And in all of these tests, I recorded two DIs. So we're going to listen to the um, first just, one DI versus the other, and then I actually uh, amped the tones. But to amp the tones, to avoid biasing my, my opinions, again, I just picked the default setting on an amp sim plugin because I didn't want to dial in the tone for one of my signal chains and then have it mm -hmm. not be dialed in for the other one. So take that for what it's worth again. It's that not makes a dialed sense. in tone. It's just to see how the sound would amp. So back to the testing. Test one is old strings versus new strings. So I recorded my riff, changed my strings, did a quick little setup, new strings, recorded the riff again. Then test two, I went, uh, I recorded one chain by plugging in directly into my high impedance input on my interface. And then for the second chain, show you, I went through this box here, which is the Little Labs STD. It's not quite a DI, but it functions similarly. So it has uh, one input, two outputs, so you can split the signal. What this bills itself as is a is a cable extender. And I, I'll hmm. explain the bare minimum of how I know about this and how it works. Um, the guitar, as we, as we know, especially with passive pickups, is a high impedance device. The current coming off of the pickups is very small and very weak. And with long cable runs or a poor quality cable, you can get this tone suck effect. And 
the characteristic of your guitar tone will change just as a result of the resistance in the cable. Again, I'm not an electrical engineer. Mm. I don't fully understand how it works. But intuitively, I'm thinking, okay, high frequencies are harder to transmit, so they don't transmit as well through a cable and so you get some suck out of the, the high end of the tone and you get a, like a kind of a darker signal so what this thing does it comes with a special cable and the tip looks like the tip of a, a regular guitar cable but you can see it's like longer and a little bit thicker if you're watching on video if not it's longer and a little bit thicker and there's a transistor in this cable and then this box has some batteries in it some nine volt batteries so what this does is it buffers the signal coming directly out of your guitar to effectively make it sound like it's a higher quality cable or like an active pickup. Mm. So you don't get that tone suck. And then the theory is now you can run long cables to wherever your amp is a half mile away for some reason. I don't know why, but <laughs> you can do that sort of thing. So. You know, I've had this for a while and I, I use it to record pretty regularly, but I thought, okay, I, I, what does, can I hear the difference? Will it really work? Kind of like you with the DIs. So I wanted to yeah. test just plugging it directly into my Hi-Z input through a, a decent cable versus going through this STD. So that is test number two. For test number three, I compared plugging directly into the Hi-Z input to adding a little bit of compression downstream of the preamp um, on a fast attack time. And I'll talk later about why I wanted to do that, but basically my preamp has this functionality built in. Yours may not, don't worry about it, but I thought, well, it's built in. I want to know what it sounds like. <laughs> so I wanted to try it. Yeah. And then test number four is, again, plugging directly into that high Z versus a whole bunch of claptrap. So I went... Uh, <laughs> it for chain number four for the 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 uh the final test, I went from the guitar into the little abs STD, into my high Z input, through the compressor, and then through a another piece of gear as an insert that has a transformer in it. I'll explain later my logic behind trying all of that. And in reality, Ben, as I told you, I tried way more tests than that. These are just the four <laughs> most interesting ones I wanted to present. And I just want to say, like, you guys may be listening to this and thinking, like, I don't have a compressor. I don't have a transformer. Why do I care about this? The point is not so much the gear I used. It's the methodologies I used that you can take away from and the ability of, like, the understanding of how to listen, what we're listening for, and how to set up your own tests with your own pedals and your own gear so that you can do this at home. Give me your thoughts. I've rambled for a long time there. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, I do have one question. So with your final test, did you say that you went into that little abs, then into the high Z? So uh, the compressor and the transformer are outboard gear. And then you're sending that back in. So it's getting, is that so, correct? Or is yeah, the, yeah, so it's Pretty much. So the, the compressor is integrated into the preamp. So that it, if you were to look at that circuit, the preamp, it hits the preamp first. So I go into the high Z, into the little labs, from the little labs into the high Z input. That goes okay. right into the preamp. Then downstream of the preamp, I've engaged the built-in compressor. And then okay. I, have a, I have a send and return from my preamp. So I sent the send into one side of a bus compressor, which had the only thing engaged in it 
was the transformer, nothing else. There's just an output transformer in there. Everything else was bypassed. And then I took the output of that back into the return on the preamp. Okay. Very complicated. That makes chain. sense. Yeah, more complicated yeah, than I, I ever This would is have not for quite DI. random. I had some <laughs> some reasonings for this. Yeah, it's, it's barely a DI anymore, right? Um, yeah. But I had I had some compelling reasons to try this, and I'm glad I tried it because I definitely uh, have adjusted the way I record as a result of these tests. So, where do you want to start? Let's I dive in, man. Test one. Yeah. All right. Let's just go from one, two, three, four. Let's do it. One, two, three, four. Let's do it. So test one, again, old strings versus new strings. I'm not going to tell you which one is which. I'm just going to say this is clip A. This is clip B. Ben, as always, when we do these shootouts, you're going to tell me which one you think is which and why. Okay. I'm ready. All right. So starting with uh, test one, part A, and uh, just the DI. So not amped. Okay. 1A. B. I'm second guessing myself listening on headphones now. And I listened to them before in my studio speakers. And you definitely can hear a lot more high end in the studio. Than yeah, you can for sure. That, especially with the way we're monitoring this through, um, through the internet, I think there is definitely less of a difference. But hopefully the listeners will, they'll have the high quality audio. So hopefully at home you'll hear yeah. more of a difference than Ben is hearing. So yeah, so go, with your, me, go with your initial notes. Yeah, so to me, I was going to say B is new strings because it was noticeably brighter and louder, but I'm not confident in that. The only, okay, the only thing I can say, so first of all, it wasn't super obvious. Second of all, uh, it shows you how much a difference that the volume level can make because it was kind of hard to level match them. Yeah. They definitely were at two different volumes, and I think I was definitely influenced by that. Yeah, the volume matching is a huge, huge, huge part of A-B testing. And again, I'll say with the caveat that I've probably only played these strings for a total of two hours, even though they, the old strings were, whatever I said, four or five months old. So, you know, I don't have as much of like the, the skin sweat on them. But A Yeah, so maybe the they strings. maybe they held up a lot more. What did yeah, you think? Yeah, they held up Did you like the sound better. of it? I, I did hear uh, with the new strings with A, um, again, this is, you know, you could say I'm, I'm, I'm biased, but doing the, doing the right. testing when I was listening to it through my notes, I could hear a little bit more brightness and forwardness in the new strings. And also the other thing I noticed was a tighter low end, like a less, hmm. it was just, it was a less like flubby low end. So it just, everything kind of got pushed up a little bit higher into the mids and just felt a little bit tighter and smoother. Um, the older your strings get, certainly the more of that dulling effect you'll get. I mean, I remember even as a kid, like changing my strings and for the next couple of days being mm -hmm. really amazed at how different they sound. I mean, back then I used to change my strings almost never, but uh, there, yeah. is a, there is a difference. 
I think my conclusion on this test was there's enough of a difference to warrant doing it. I mean, a pack of strings costs, yeah, what seven bucks? I don't know. Yeah, it's about seven dollars. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I buy them on Amazon or whatever, but definitely worth it, right? Like you're you're making the investment into something. It's kind of like we talk about with drumheads or anything else for the time and cost right. investment. It's just worth having the peace of mind knowing you got as much quality out of those tones as you could. Yeah. The the big takeaway for me is that I would rather have new strings because you actually are going to get tone out of those new strings that uh, if you're playing with dull strings, like there just isn't tone to add. Like you can't add that high end back in there if it's not there in the first place. Because that was the one thing that kind of jumped out to me. And uh, I A-B'd some of your DIs through my own guitar amp sims. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I noticed was with some high gain guitar amp sims, because there's so much distortion happening, the uh, older strings actually were a little bit more pleasant at first listen, but that's because they're not driving the fizzy high end as much. So I probably would take a a low pass filter really high, like maybe uh, 15,000 hertz just to help skim off some of that like fizzy air from those high, uh, interesting, those high gain amps that I probably wouldn't need to do with old strings, but I would still rather record with the new strings to have the brightness and take it away than not. Yeah. be able to add it back in. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And that's a great point. I was thinking about that actually of whether you could dial in the old strings on the amp sim to sound like the new strings. And ultimately, I think you could probably get pretty freaking close. But I agree with you in that some of that, it's not just a question of EQ. It's a question of... yeah the string harmonics that exist or don't exist. So I agree with you in that I'd rather have them than not because you right. can do things to tame them. And I would also rather push the brightness from the string rather than try to push that brightness from the amp sim, which can get the fizzy and a little harsh sounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was, I'm was, i 0 for 1, but that's okay because we learned something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I bet if you went back and listened to it again in the studio, you'd be able... I, I kind of... For listeners aren't going to know this, but I threw you for a bit of a loop because I sent you... Oh, you threw me for such a loop. Yeah, so I, I set a big <laughs> trap for you because I originally sent you these files and I realized that when I first started recording with the new strings, this is... I was so upset about this. In the process of changing the strings, I bumped my tone knob and my tone knob was not maxed out on 10. So we talked about the tone knob, uh, when you roll it off, actually kind of rolls off a lot of the high end and upper mids. So those first tests, even I would listen back to them and I, I was like, I can't really tell a difference. And then once I realized that, I uh, resent these. So anyway, um, next test. So test two- Let's do it. Was probably the one that shocked me the most. This is the plugging directly into the Hi-Z input versus the Little Labs cable extender. All right, here we go, starting with A and B. And again, we don't know which one is which. A. B. 
Cool. So I'll say, as far as my guesses go for these next three ones, I really am in the dark because I don't know Vadim's gear at all. So yeah. I'm basically How about this? going Don't even guess of... which one is which. Just tell me what, what you heard as the differences. And Yeah, that's more what I want to focus Take a wild on, guess so... if you want. <laughs> I am going to take a wild guess, but I, I'm more curious to to hear what the results are and to hear what you actually like better. But the thing I noticed that stood out to me was B has a noticeable amount more presence than uh, chain A has. And I noticed a bump above three kilohertz. I could even see it on my analyzer whenever I compared the two. Like there was this just bump in tone that wasn't there from B compared to A. So I liked it better. I thought it was more forward and probably would be better for guitars that you want to poke out of the mix. So I'm guessing that that was the Little Labs because it sounds better. And I'm guessing that A, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, B was the Little Labs and A was the high Z input. You're absolutely right. And that's exactly what I heard as well. And I was actually surprised because again, this is not... Hmm. This is just a little device that buffers the signal coming out of your guitar. In theory, it should be fairly transparent. It should just be a more honest representation of what's coming directly off of your pickup. And so to get that huge bump in high end and presence and uh, you're right, like jumping out at you, I was pretty amazed at the difference here. So the other question is, what were you recording into your high Z with? What cable did you use? And do you know how expensive it is? I don't think this is a very expensive cable. I've had it for a long time. It is a Mogami cable. So okay. It's, you know, it's a reputable brand, but it's nothing fancy. It's, you know, I mean, the connectors are gold colored. I don't know if they're actually gold or not. Um, I mean, that that could be a $100 cable, though. No, it's definitely not a hundred dollar cable. It's not okay. No, I mean, but but it is. You know, it's a reputable brand, and I think it's a decent quality cable. So, to and to clarify, I use the same cable. Like I use this cable plugging my guitar into the high Z. I use the same cable going from the Little Labs into the high Z. Okay. Right. So everything was the same except I added the Little Labs plus that little purple Little Labs cable into the mix. So. That's a pretty big difference. I think let's let's play the amp tones there just so you can hear how it sound whether it sounds different amped. Yeah, that's a good idea. So this is going to be with the um double track guitars through same signal chain both sides and I just put in a drum beat to it. There's no bass line, not mixed or anything like that, but just so you can hear how it sounds in a demo demo-ish mix. Gotcha. Here's a B A B A Interesting. I could tell the difference, but it's not as drastic as the the eyes. I feel like. 
Absolutely. I totally agree. And that's, you and I talked about that offline. Like the, the DIs mm-hmm. have a huge difference. The amp tones, less so. I could, you know, you could still tell a difference. There's still more information in that, in that kind of presency range, but not as huge, not as big of a difference. Yeah. It's almost like the amp sims act as a buffer to whatever is happening in the DI. So the better your DI, the better your amp sims are going to be, but they're kind of robust. Like if you have a good amp sim, they can handle, they can handle a wide range of what you throw at them. I didn't try this exercise. I don't know if you did, but I am reasonably confident that I could dial in, even with just plugging into the high Z, I could dial in a bright enough tone to get very close to going through the little labs. Yeah, I didn't try either, but I think so. I think you could absolutely dial in something. Okay. Um, Let's move on. Test three. Let's do it. So test three is directly into the high Z, first without the compressor and then with the compressor. Again, I know you don't know the nature of the compressor. I'll explain my thought process later, but at least tell me what you think you're hearing as a as a difference okay i know i've I've been messing up switching from a to b i've been switching a b a b a b it's very hard to do this oh it's fine i can hear the you can hear i can hear the difference yeah i can hear the switch so it's all good okay here we go starting with 3a okay b A sounds brighter to me, and we know from the previous test that that Little Labs does add some presence to the DI signal. So that's what I think A is. B's darker, but it's also the low end sounds more controlled. It's less flubby, and I'm guessing that that's the compressor with a fast attack acting on it. Am I right? Um, no, but... Oh, no! I did screw you up. So did, did you think for that test three, I, I, th- I think I've made a mistake. I said it was directly into high Z, but I did go through the little labs on both. Did you, oh, you went through the little labs you? on both. Yeah, sorry. I, no. I, I, I set another trap for you. <laughs> Vadim, Vadim came back that. with a vengeance. This is he was terrible. so angry that he... <laughs> so A was with the compressor and B was without. And the compressor is not doing a ton of work here. It's doing maybe like, it's just shaving off like one to two dB on the big peaks. So it's not like doing Hmm. a ton of work. And the reason I tried it with the compressor is because I know from doing vocal shootouts and bass guitar shootouts, that this compressor on this preamp, even when it's not doing any work, it tends to r- tighten up to, to my ear, to like tighten up or um, have almost like a little high pass filter on the low end. So it, it, it shaves a little bit of it off the low end and it kind of pushes a little bit in the 900 hertz range to my ear, like one kilohertz. So 
it pushes things forward a little bit. And I was thinking before doing the shootout, like I know that's what basically what an Ibanez tube screamer does is it has hmm. this kind of A-shape curve where it's pushing those mids. And I've always liked the sound of a tube screamer in a guitar chain. So I thought I'd try this compressor engaged. And I did get a, it's a very subtle difference, but I do think I got that little like 900 hertz bump and a little bit of a tighter low end. It was, I think I preferred the compressor, the one with the compressor very slightly, but it's, it's a close difference. And again, that little low end roll off is like, could be good, could be bad. So I don't think I'd use that in right. every application. So that makes sense though. Like I'm not upset that I was wrong, but I'm glad that I could hear that there was that mid range boost in there. That's what I was hearing in mm. A. So that's interesting that you, I mean, you knew that your compressor did that and you were going for that. So that's cool. That's a cool yeah, result. So again, it's a little bit of a, like a, it wasn't a true blind test for me because I knew visually what I was listening for, but yeah. I still thought I could detect that difference. Okay. Um, I'm not going to play the amp tones for that one because we're just running low on time. So we'll go right to test four. Let me double check this now. So Let's do it. Yeah, so test four, I did do just high Z, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> for, for one of them. And for the other one, I went through the little abs and the compressor and an output transformer just to see. That's the maximum amount of stuff I could cram in there, and I just wanted <laughs> to see what, it, what the difference would be now, like. I would guess that this would be the biggest difference in tone. I actually might have guessed... I don't know. Going into this blind, completely blind, I might have guessed that old strings versus new strings would have made the biggest difference. But now that we now that we've already heard that and and kind of know what's going on, uh, I think that this might be the biggest difference between A and B. But we'll see. Okay, let's check it out. One more time. Okay, <laughs> A and then B, starting with A. B. A. B. A. B. Dang, that one's very obvious. So drastic of a difference. Yeah. But yeah, um, B is like way brighter tighter it sounds great so that's the b it's got to be the b be all end all of guitar signal chain <laughs> yeah yeah you're right yeah you're right and this one is yeah it's a huge difference almost this is almost the difference you would expect from old strings to new strings where the yeah a1 sounds very rolled off very low mid Z, not a lot of high end. And then the B just sounds way brighter and the low end is way tighter. And you're absolutely right. It's the B all end all. And again, I'll explain my reasoning there. We already talked about the compressor. I think the compressor has a little 900 Hertz bump, which I like that nas that pushes like the nasally part of a guitar. And my thought process with the transformer was the same. So this transformer is on a bus compressor that I use in, in mm. mixes. And in mixes, 
It's got a button on it that you can engage or disengage the output transformers. And I never engage, almost never. I'll always try it, but I almost never like the sound of the output transformer on the mix. And the reason I don't like it is because it rolls up the low end and pushes like one kilohertz, 1.2 kilohertz, somewhere around there. And it puts the vocals super in your face. It really pushes the center of the mix forward, but I don't like what it does to my low end, to my kick drum and my bass. But again, knowing mm-hmm. this from other shootouts, I thought, but that sounds like it would be perfect for my guitar tone. Yeah. So I tried to engage it and I did prefer it with the transformer. Um, but again, I think if I was recording double tracking guitars or whatever, quad tracking guitars, I might try some with and some without just to get like variation yeah. even without the transformer. I'd be very curious to hear in the future if you like doing that with mixes, if that's something that works. Yeah, yeah, I'll let you know. I might, I don't, I didn't try it for this one. Uh, but let me play the um, the amp tones for that last yeah, example, that. just so we can compare. And again, I think these have uh, the, the, the dummy drum part with them as well. Uh, uh, I'm not even going to announce it for this one. So I, I really want to focus okay. <laughs> on getting the, getting the transitions down. I'm just going to go A, B, A, B, A, B the whole way through. And um, okay. I think people get the people get the pattern by this point. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I'd say once again, um, not as big of a difference as with the DIs, but still, I think overall made a huge difference in the tone. Yeah, definitely not as big of a difference, but definitely still a little bit preferable. And like I said, my thought process there is I'd rather get the brightness as early in the chain as I can, because anytime we try to add it, especially in the digital domain, adding brightness is always a risky proposition because you're always fighting that harshness. So I like yes. the idea of getting it from the strings. And so my overall conclusion was it's worth it to change strings, as I thought, although not as huge a difference. Because I used to be worried. I used to worry about like if I recorded a DI yesterday, Do I need to, and then I need to record more today. Should I change the strings again? I think I'm not so worried about that anymore. Um, I think you can get away with it, but it is worth it. If you're getting ready to record, put fresh strings on. I do like the little labs cable extender. I think I will always use that going forward for uh, guitars and bass, especially with passive pickups. That seems to be a nice addition. And the compressor and the transformer, the little bells and whistles. Yeah, I might throw those in again, knowing what they do pushing things and rolling off the low end. If I want that, I know that I can engage it. So again, the beauty of this is learning a little bit more about the gear you have and about your preamps and everything else. Now, if I'm in a session and somebody wants something, I know I can press buttons and get to that sound quicker. So this took me a couple of hours to do and then to redo because I made some mistakes and got some things wrong. <laughs> but ultimately, I did, um, I did learn a little bit. Yeah, I think I think I learned a bunch as well, and we need to get a uh, sponsorship from Little Labs because 
I think we sold a lot of those STDs after hearing the shootouts. Because <laughs> yeah, they sound awesome. They're a small company. They might be interested in talking to us. Maybe I'll reach out to them. Yeah. I'm definitely interested in getting one after hearing what it does to your tone. Because, I mean, essentially what's going on there is since it has a transformer built into the tip of that um, that TS guitar plug, right? Is that what you said? The transformer's right yeah. inside that transistor. transistor. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like um, buffering that signal as early. I mean, basically as soon as it leaves the guitar. So that way you're not losing any tone. Exactly. That's the idea there is, yeah, you're not losing anything hmm. to the cable at all because you're already buffered. What I don't know is how different is that from what a active pickup is doing? Like an active pickup is basically like a little preamp circuit built into the guitar. So what I haven't tried yeah. is to use this little labs on, or maybe I did try, but I didn't do an A-B test. On a, on a guitar or bass with active pickups, would you still hear that kind of difference or not? Because I know active pickups tend, can drive much longer cable runs without suffering from that tone suck problem. So would you get the same benefit or not? Would you get any benefit? That I'm not sure about. So that might That's be a, a test question. for a future time. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's fun to do these A-B tests and it's a great way to get to know your gear in your studio and... Maybe you'll bust up some myths that you thought were true, like have to change your guitar strings every time, <laughs> which I still think you should do. But we learned here it doesn't always make the biggest difference. So I think it's fun to do those little experiments. Let me ask you this. What, what are some, what's the next yeah. series or what are the A-B tests that you have on your wish list or in your queue that you would like to do in your studio but haven't had a chance to do yet? Would like to do? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, what's um, like gear you'd like to, you know, you have microphones you want to try on different things or just whatever. What what would you, what are some next tests you'll be running when you have the opportunity? Probably um, it would be interesting to try different types of mics on drums because mm -hmm. I pretty much like, I have a pretty small studio and I have I have a lot of mics. I think I have, last I counted, I think I had like 20 or something mics like that, but... I purchased wow. each one, but that's still relatively small for like a studio though. And each mic that I picked was for a specific purpose really. So it's not like, I mean, you could use every single one of those microphones on a vocal, but really a lot of them are designed to be, these are my two kick drum mics. These are mics that I use for my snares, for my toms, for overheads. And so it would be interesting to use like especially or try out especially like um, that slate uh, emulation mic that I have for vocals. It would be cool to try that on a snare or Ooh, on yeah. something else just to see how it does. You don't you're not nervous putting that close to a drummer swinging sticks. I mean, I wouldn't put it close, but <laughs> <still try> it. <laughs> maybe on a kick drum or something, because I mean, honestly, like. I mean, a snare drum is a snare drum. I like the way an SM57 sounds on it, but it's cool mm. to try it with other things too. It is cool. And uh, I mentioned it before, but you can see on my desk here, if you're watching this, I have my little notebook. And in this yes. little notebook is where I take my shootout notes because I forget also, like I don't remember what my last mm. optimal bass chain was, but I can always look it up. 
And my notes aren't like necessarily that A was better, like this was better, this was worse. I try to be more specific on like this really, you know, pushed the certain frequencies, this rolled them, whatever, whatever my notes were so that, again, I can choose different signal chains for different applications when they call for it. Yeah, that's one thing I'll, I'll maybe throw in there as well. So a lot of times when I'm figuring out and doing these like tests in my studio to, to see like which mic I like better on a specific sound source or A-B testing something, a lot of times I don't set it up like a blind experiment like this. A lot of times I'm just trying to make up something for a project and then I say, what the heck, I've got an extra microphone, an extra input, let me just throw something on there. It's it's like an easy free way to like throw some testing into like everything that you're doing. So that way you're kind of like multitasking your time. So you don't have to think of it as a way to, oh, I have to set aside time to test out all my gear. Like why not just throw some testing into like your writing process or recording, whatever you're doing. I like, I like to do things that way a lot. That's a great, that's a great point. You can absolutely do that if you're recording vocals it's not that much time to throw a second microphone in front of the vocalist. You don't have to disrupt the session, mm -hmm. but then after the fact, you can sit down. Now you have the same take on two different mics. Now you can start to listen for what are these different mics doing and start learning which one you prefer yeah. in which situation. And uh, I'm gonna think about ways I can bypass my tone knob so that I can never turn that thing down again. I, this guitar is like very single purpose for me. I only do one thing with mm. it. And I never, ever want that tone knob to be less than 10. And I actually remember uh, watching a video where um, there was like, a, I think Misha Mansour has a Jackson guitar that they designed for him. One of the things he wanted in there was a push-pull on the tone knob so that you could actually bypass the tone control because to his ears, ah. he thought even with the tone knob on 10, you could still hear a little bit of high-end loss as compared to completely bypassing that circuit, which I thought was interesting. I've never tried That's interesting. it. But I'm thinking like that thing is just a potentiometer, right? So you should just be able to bypass it somehow. I had to maybe open this guitar Probably. and take a look. Yeah. Probably. I feel the same way bass-wise. Like the only thing I've ever done, well, on guitars, I, I max out all my tone knobs all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on bass, the only thing I'll ever do sometimes is I'll click back the mid-range to maybe 50%. Ooh. Sometimes if I'm going for a specific tone. But other than that, like, but most of the time I still just keep everything maxed. And if I want to change the tone, I'll just do it on the amp or do it later. But I want all the tone yeah. I could possibly have coming out of my instrument. Well, it, it is your bass. I, I always forget. It's, it's active pickups, right? Well, actually, it's both. It's active, so I am driving. My one guitar yeah. is active and passive, but but all my basses are active pickups. Active, so yeah. I'm actually adding tone. Yeah, so active pickups is a little bit different. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily. My bass is also active pickups, and there you can get some weird things actually with like driving things up to ten because there you can actually use the active circuitry to boost frequencies, which may or may not be desirable. But on passive pickups, yeah, I always want everything on ten. If I have 11, I yeah. want it on 11. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just crank it up, baby. <laughs> crank it up. Maximum tone all the time. All exactly. Day, all the time. All right, my friend. Well, it's been a pleasure. I'm sorry for setting you some traps in this A-B testing. I uh, will try oh, to do better fun. next time. I got, 
I got at least 50%. That was my goal. So I, I've made yeah. it out with a passing grade. I'll give myself a passing grade at least. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a passing grade. And thanks for being a good sport about it. Uh, as I said, I was a little bit misleading with some of my initial communications to you, but it's been a pleasure. Until next time, it's the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourself. Before you wreck yourselves. All See right. you later. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support See you next week.